0: That was the best wave of my life. Sometimes you gotta start the session, especially in terms of big wave surfing. You only have about a three hour window or four hour window before that adrenaline wears off. If you're gonna surf, just understand that this is kind of a lifelong pursuit
1: all right well welcome to the basis podcast we got my buddy derek dunphy uh here with us today super honored he's a professional big wave surfer won the double xl big wave uh award professional surf photographer his work has been featured in the surfers journal and other tons of of incredible magazines and he's just an all-around awesome human being humble dude uh and uh yeah the way we met actually we I think it was either at your book launch party or kai lenny's book launch party at pilgrim um and uh yeah that was actually kind of a fun night we just ended up all going out to dinner and and having a a night out in uh, brooklyn new york it was a fun time but we've kept in touch since and um yeah now um, i'm uh, lucky enough to get to interview you for this podcast so thanks for joining us
0: thank you no i really appreciate you having me and i'm You know, stoked that you're having me on. I'm really happy with like uh, what you're doing with the podcast and all your surf tips and everything. So I'm really just honored to be here. Stoked, and you've uh, you and your brothers have always been really good to me, and I consider you guys my friends. And anytime I come out to New York, you like it's been just a really awesome experience for me. So I really appreciate it.
1: Cool, man. Well, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit
0: about your book, um,
1: which is amazing. Everybody definitely needs to grab it. It's called Waking Up in the Sea. And it's uh, it's very unique. It's very different from the majority of surf books I've ever read. You know, a lot of surf books, I mean, they're incredible. Um, you know, you, you hear about these adventures and whatnot, but most of the time they feel kind of episodic. And it will just go from... One crazy wave to another crazy wave surfing at this break and surfing that break and there's always interesting detail but a lot of the times it it kind of becomes monotonous in a way and your book was one of the first books that i've read that really takes the user on or the, the 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 person the uh you know who's reading it on this like emotional journey with you there's like this actual narrative character arc um which usually is missing from surfing books now now there's a i'll I'll get that arc in climbing books and the one other book that i'll put your book in the same category with is barbarian days by william finnegan uh because you really do follow on that that arc Um, but then that book is also a different species as well because that's like no pictures but this has amazing photography and all that so i just want to say that like everybody needs to go and read this book it's incredibly unique it's it's raw it's poetic it's beautiful it's emotional um and yeah, uh, it must have been quite the journey putting this thing together. I mean, how, how long did it take you to, to create this book?
0: It took me about three years to make the book. I spent probably the first two years writing it. And then it took me about six months to do the layout because um, I, um, I did the layout in InDesign as well. Maybe it took me about four or six months to do the layout. And then besides that, Uh, it took about four months or even longer to, to just get it published and get the books in my possession. So it took me about three years to kind of get the book, uh, from start to finish. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, about three years.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, I can tell that you poured your heart and your soul into this book. It's, it's something totally different. And I, I think, you know, you, you think about a lot of books that maybe other pro surfers have written or whatever. Usually it's not. I mean, they're athletes first and foremost, and you're an athlete as well, but you're also an artist. And I think, I think it really shows in the book, the way you wrote it, the, the imagery and all of that. So it's really incredible. And I just remember, so I read it for the second time in preparation for, uh, for this interview, and I was just, again, just, just totally drawn in. And the, the first, uh, the prologue that you included about, um, and this was actually written, I think by your buddy, uh, Sean Dollar, uh, you guys were surfing Cortez Bank, like, but I remember the first time I read it. When I read this prologue, I was like, I was like, whoa, uh, and I couldn't put the book down. I read the entire thing in one sitting, um, and I think everybody, <laughs> and I think everybody that listens to it is gonna be like, I need to get this book as well. Would you mind reading us this prologue? I mean, I just thought it was just incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can read it. Um, yeah, um, I had um, you know Sean write the prologue because. There's certain things I went through uh, and I wasn't sure kind of what was real and what wasn't. And uh, when I when I drowned at Cortez Bank and so I had Sean Dollar really, I wanted him to it to be in his voice because he saved my life. And just to give kind of a different perspective of of what had kind of happened. So I'll uh, I'll read that for you right now. Let's see. here. All right. All right, and this is by Sean Dollar. Um, Cortez Bank is the scariest and most violent big wave spot I've ever surfed. On this day, I was taking a break from surfing and doing water safety on my PWC. I saw Derek go down on a big one, so I started to track his wave. Following the white water line closely, I knew generally where he was going to come up, but as, as I buzzed around that zone, I started to panic because he didn't come up for a really, really long time. He eventually popped up right next to my ski, just a few feet away. When I finally swung around to see his face, he looked like a ghost. I didn't know it then, but he was unconscious and unresponsive, like he was frozen in time. Knowing we were square in the impact zone with another set approaching, I screamed at Derek to grab the sled. All he had to do was put his arm out and grab it. I kept screaming, Derek, grab the sled. I yelled at him for so long that I finally realized he was out cold. Get the fucking sled, I yelled again. With only seconds left, I knew I had to do something drastic. I put the ski in the reverse and rammed the rescue sled into his head. I screamed again, grabbed the fucking sled. Still nothing. I was trying to give him every moment I had, but as this massive wave approached us, I gave the ski a little gas to separate myself and safely go over the top of the wave. I was really close to going over the falls. As I saw that, I just barely cleared the wave. I watched in horror as Derek went back over the falls in slow motion into the worst part of the wave. I still remember looking at his face as he went up and over, eyes half open. I'll never be able to unsee that look of pure and utter helplessness. Then he disappeared. It was a big set with multiple waves, so I had to wait for all the turbulence to pass before I could look for him. Every second that went by, I knew my chances of finding him decreased. After the set, I returned to the zone where I last saw him. He was gone. I couldn't find him anywhere. So much time went by—easily ten minutes—I zigzagged all through the Cortez white water line, looking for any sign of movement. And when I'd reached the end of it, I would haul us all the way back outside and start over. Just when I was about to jet back to the boat and call in for more help, I saw a black speck way on the inside, almost drifting around the backside of the massive underwater shoal. It was Derek. When I got to him, he was floating on his side. The inflatable wetsuit Derek was. Wearing had flotation, but only on the back. He was leaning over at an awkward tilt. No surfboard, no movement. Although he was now conscious and breathing, Derek wasn't responsive and wouldn't look at me. I helped Derek onto the sled and took him back to safety. When I dropped him off at the boat, I asked him again, Derek, tell me you're okay. He didn't answer. And that um, that was uh, December 22nd, 2002 at Cortez Bank, 100 miles off San Diego. Uh, by Sean Dollar. Man, <laughs> that's wild.
1: Like I'm literally, I was literally getting chills reading, uh, listening to you to go through that.
0: Yeah, it's hard. Um, it's hard to read, honestly. Um, yeah, it was hard for me to. Um, it took me a long time to be able to like talk about this experience without crying and getting emotional. Yeah. And I still kind of feel like that way right now. I was trying not to. To, to think about even what I was just reading too much, or I'd probably just get really emotional and right. kind of break down. But I'm happy I'm, I'm in a better place now that I can kind of talk about what happened to me. And um, it wasn't... And there's just a... There's a there's a lot to that that... Um, like, I didn't... It was kind of a bizarre... The whole thing was just terrifying, super traumatic. It was one of the reasons why I eventually yeah. kind of quit surfing big waves. But there's... Yeah. I just... It wasn't until... A period of time afterwards, that I, when I spoke with Sean, that he had told me that I was knocked out. Cause I didn't know that mm-hmm. I was knocked out. And then I went up and over for, and then had like a three or five wave hold down. It was, uh, you know, it was really bizarre. Cause even when he told me I was knocked out, I felt like I was conscious, like I was there, mm-hmm. even though I was face down and my eyes were shut. Um, so it's just kind of a, it took me a little while. I'm still trying to kind of figure out. Uh, just what happened. I mean, I know what happened to me, but it's just kind of uh, scary and traumatic. But I'm also trying to look at that, that whole experience as a, as, you know, just a learning learning experience that I can grow from, you know, mentally, and even physically, or just everything just as a person just grow and try to look at as, you know, I'm lucky that Sean saved my life and that I'm here. uh, Mm Because there could have been another time that, you know, one of my good friends wasn't there and that I would have just been, been gone.
1: Right. Well, it's, yeah, it sounds harrowing, but you've able to, you've been able to, to channel it into, to greater good. You know, I I know that one of your missions has been being an advocate and just raising awareness around, um, you know, concussions and, and, you know, how, how that affects things in, in the big wave world. And it seems like it's having an effect. I mean, um, a lot of surfers now seem to be a lot more honest and transparent about it, um, which has been great. Right. Like uh, I think like,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. I, that's, you know, part of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is to, to help me kind of as therapy to write for me to write it and to, to kind of grow as a person and get through it so I can talk about it with other people without getting emotional, without crying. And then also to bring awareness to, to concussions and how, how they can really impact, um, professional or just anybody. And then also just mental health awareness because throughout my concussions and then even, uh, just being kind of so traumatized by that event that I kind of went through some, uh, like some weird emotional states. And so to bring awareness to like just depression and maybe even people just going through high stress or, or those types of things so that, you know, a lot more people can be open about talking about it and it's okay to you know, let people know that you're going through a hard time and that you need help. Yeah.
1: I, I think that that is so important. And you're right. I think that that pertains not just to, you know, extreme athletes at the very pinnacle like you, you know, getting a concussion, but anybody going through any struggle, um, you know, the more you bottle it in, the, the harder it can be. And that's, I think that that darkness can fester and it's a lot better to, to open up and reach out to your friends when, when you need it, you know? Um, and that, and that's so cool that, you are kind of at the forefront of like opening that up the beginning that discussion. And, and, and I think, yeah, you, now you have like Koa Smith, you have Albie layer, even, you know, uh, Sterling Spencer, who's not even a big wave surfer, but they're, they're talking about it. And I think that that just general awareness is uh, is definitely a good thing and in mental health yeah. in general. I think people are just becoming a lot more open to talking about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it can be tough for professional yeah. surfers that are trying to keep their sponsors. Because right. if, they, if they're as super honest about the fact that they might need a one-year break or two-year break so they get their mind and their head right, that they'll probably lose their sponsors and then maybe their entire career. But those are kind yeah. of choices I think a lot of surfers or people that have had a bad head injury that need to kind of make, you know, if you're choosing your mental health over. But it's hard. It's hard for something right. for a lot of people. Uh, like even myself who, you know, I committed my life to trying to be the best big wave surfer and, and I had to make a choice with my mental health. Um, and, you know, i trying to, to trying to heal myself and get better or continue on the path and really kind of destroy my brain and my, my mental health and which could lead to depression or if not suicide.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's what made this book so powerful. It was just raw and honest in a way that I don't think most you know, surf books are, and it's uh, it, it's really incredible to see all the the ups and the downs, and just going through that entire journey with you. So, I was actually thinking of just kind of going back to the beginning of the journey. I mean, growing up in Wendancy, um surfing there. What what was that like growing up in, in surfing
0: around there? I'm really lucky to grow up. You know, I grew up uh, living pretty close to Sea Beach, and uh, I'm, I'm feel very fortunate because it's a beautiful area really good waves there's some good reef breaks so i was able to get a lot of practice and understanding of how different different waves break i mean i just had a a big variety of different types of waves between the reefs and even blacks beach and a lot of really really good surfers Um, and on top of that there was there's such a rich history of of really amazing surfers that came out of winnesee in this area and and through uh, the Winnessee surf Club there's just a lot of um, history here and I really admired and love like the 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 rich history along with all these great surfers and I just it really kind of pushed me to want to to just be the best kind of surfer I can be and push my surfing wherever it could be yeah. I I always kind of lost in surf contests I didn't really I don't know what it was. I just didn't have the patience or the, the, um, competitive drive for certain things. And so I really focused on my, um, just pushing myself and, and, barrel riding, tube riding and that slowly progressed into big wave surfing. Oh, right.
1: Okay. So, cause I remember, uh, reading a passage and they were talking about how you, you ended up in Hawaii. Were you sponsored getting over there or were you, uh, just, you just went out there on your own as a yeah. young kid
0: yeah i was sponsored by volcom um, as when i was about 14 years old and that's when i first went over to a house that they had over there and that was just a really crazy learning experience for me because there's a lot of kids that i became friends with that were already surfing in big waves um, at a very young age like 12 to 14 years old they're surfing big waves kind of already and it's kind of ingrained in their 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 lives and their families they're you know they're taken to the beach and and put in the kind of bigger way not i don't know they're just it's way more um a part of their lifestyle to for this ocean awareness and these being around these bigger waves and maybe being taught how to survive or how to help there's just a lot to it that when i went there i really just learned a lot about different waves um like sunset beach is the first time i saw that wave and just really getting out there and seeing some other kids that that were around my si- my age and my size like small catching big waves and so I was just I felt like it was just a whole different world and it I think in terms of um uh, my imagination and certain things like that I could I really knew I had a lot I could grow and that mm-hmm. uh, these kids were just kind of on a different level than me and that uh but it since I was fortunate enough to be over there as a sponsored surfer, surfer, I uh, had time to kind of slowly grow and catch bigger waves and bigger waves and just being out there, I think was really helpful. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> there was this one story I forget who it was. Uh, Oh, you were out there. I think you were at sunset and you're you're just chilling and then Noah Johnson walks up to you. Could you tell us about that
0: story? Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, in a nutshell, I didn't want to surf Sunset Beach. It was pretty big. I mean, it must have been i do not bigger than 12 or 15 foot on the face at the time. And he, I didn't want to surf. I felt like it was kind of too big for me. And I didn't have the, I had a lot of reasons I didn't want to surf it. And I was just kind of by myself and Noah Johnson came up and he's one of the best big wave surfers ever. Like he's been in the Etiakau a lot. He, Uh, has a couple of really famous rides. He's um, became like, I think a stuntman for a long time, but he was something I, he was in his big wave surfing was something I really um, admired. And and he came up and really, um, I tried to give him a a bunch of excuses why I didn't want to go out, whether it was my breath holding or surfboards or equipment and all this stuff. And every single excuse I gave him, he gave me a reason why that wasn't enough. You know and it came down to me saying like oh I don't even have a big enough board and he said well here I have an extra board like in my truck here you go just come out and paddle out with me so every excuse I had he just shut it down and and pretty much took me out there so I mean really just Noah Johnson um, gave me a lot of advice and wouldn't let me give him any excuses and, and took me out to took me out to sunset and I had just a, a really big learning experience. I caught a couple waves that I'll never forget. And I got worked on a couple waves and it really gave me the, the, um, the, the courage to kind of just keep, keep going and surf those types of waves.
1: Yeah. Well, the, 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 the story that I read there was that he, <laughs> I think you were sitting on the beach and your excuse was, Oh, I can't hold my breath for that long. And then he was yep. just like, all right. Well, let's see if you can hold your breath from the wave breaking till it gets into shore, and then you did it, and you're like, "Oh crap! I gotta go
0: out." <laughs> yeah, that was something. I mean, I couldn't believe he's just like, "Yeah, if you can hold your breath from when it breaks to when it hits the shore, uh, you know, you'll you'll be fine." And it's funny because I saw him, you know, as an adult, and I kind of I tried to bring up that story to him, and he didn't have much memory of it because i think he was just so deep into his big wave surfing career that that was just another day for him and so for me uh, i tried to bring it up because i i'd seen him since and i tried to even give him uh tell him thank you you know and all this praise for for helping me and he just it was just another day for him so it was kind of funny and you know so i still have a lot of respect for him and i'm really lucky that for that for that experience
1: although it's I mean, you, you, I, I want your opinion on this. It seems kind of like sandbagging somebody, though, because getting held, holding your breath above land, and then holding your breath when you have like a gigantic wave at sunset pummeling you is a totally different thing, right? It is.
0: It is, and I think that. I mean, I think maybe maybe because I was a sponsored surfer, and he knew I was like in you know good yeah. shape as a as a sponsor, even though I was only like fourteen. I think he probably just knew he had to kind of say these certain things to get me out there. And it was these big things that kind of, when I look back were really important to me and getting out there. I mean, there's certain stuff like that I wouldn't do with other people. Uh, but yeah, he, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he believed in me or something, but it was, it was huge for me. And yeah, there's, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people I wouldn't, I wouldn't take out to big sunset beach. And, but, but he, I think saw through that. I
1: think he was trying to sucker you into it is what I think. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I don't know if you yeah. would, if uh, I would recommend that to the everyday surfer thinking about surfing sunset and just trying to hold your breath. And,
0: yeah. No, there's so much to it, you know, but there's certain things, I guess, when I was, you know, younger that were more common with trying to, I don't know. I have no idea yeah. where that came from, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm grateful that it happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you said you immediately, you, you were like, you have what's interesting is you felt so much fear leading up to this, right? Like you're coming up with every excuse. And then you said, then you got out there and you just loved it. Was it just this immediate, like, I, this is, oh, I realized this is where, this is my element. This is where, this is where I'm going to thrive. Did, was that just a, an immediate thing? What
0: was that like? I mean, yeah, I caught a wave. I remember catching a wave and the West Bowl took me out. Like, I got worked on a wave and I was riding a 7.6, which is the biggest board I'd ever ridden up until that point. And I got just worked on this wave. And there's something about, um, you know, I think that when I got worked, I didn't panic underwater. And after the entire beatdown, when I came up and back, when I was back in the channel, it definitely uh, gave me courage. Like, yes, I am in good enough shape for this and I can do this. And I started to actually believe in myself instead of create these excuses. And and mm-hmm. it was, yeah, so it really just, um, it was one of the rare times that, you know, the the wipeout actually gave me a little bit of courage going back out and in myself. mm yeah, that's that's
1: that's interesting. Sometimes when I'm surfing bigger waves, I don't know if you, it, I don't know if you would recommend this, but sometimes what I'll do is I'll actually just like, not intentionally wipe out, but I'll think to myself like, I just kind of want to get one out of the way because then the fear of it, the idea of it, is usually worse than the actual thing itself, and then I'll yeah. and then I'll kind of get into the zone. But
0: yeah, sometimes it's sometimes you got to start the session, just get it get it going. Otherwise, especially in terms of big wave surfing, you can. You know you only have about a three hour window or four hour window before that adrenaline wears off and then you're you know way more mm. exhausted than you normally would be. So sometimes you, if you're waiting a couple hours and, and you're starting to get tired, it's almost better to not catch a wave and just go straight in. So sometimes I would just try to get the, mm. the, the session started because if you if you wait two or three hours, and or even longer you know your your legs might not be working in terms of the blood flow and then also if your adrenaline starts wearing off and you're starting to feel tired you're probably way more exhausted than you even realize and you might not be able to handle the wipeout that you that you think you can just because you're just way more tired tired and that adrenaline's gone and uh, oh. there's a lot to that so like sometimes i definitely try to get one right when i get out there try to get out of the way and then start the session with that whether i make it or not just
1: well wow. That's fascinating. I never even thought about the like the
0: adrenaline wearing off.
1: Because I always thought with big wave surfing, there's a lot of waiting around because you have to be super picky, obviously. Um, so I could always conceive of people being out there for longer than three hours, but I didn't realize that there was like this literal physiological limit where your adrenaline starts to, to run out. So that's super interesting. I, I just think that there's this like interesting interplay. I think a lot of normal people think that big wave surfers are anybody that does anything gnarly feel they don't feel fear. But I mean, just from reading your book, like clearly you feel fear. Clearly we all feel fear, but it's a, uh, there's something about you that you're you're drawn to it and then getting onto the other side of the fear. Right. Is that how you would think about it for yourself yeah. personally? Yeah. Or? I
0: mean, yeah. And there's a lot to it. I mean, just kind of, you know, I can, I pretty much committed my life to surfing big waves and, and um, learning how to be the best big wave surfer through training and through, and through reading books, different things that really helped me be the best athlete and on top of the ocean knowledge. So there's a lot of stuff that um, that I was trying to prepare for but uh, it's really about also being smart and not surfing when it's the waves. Like It's just like anywhere if you pull up and and it's onshore and crappy that you most likely won't paddle out. But sometimes with big wave surfing, you might travel for a long period of time or it might be the the, the only or the first big swell of the season. And so you kind of feel like you have this obligation to go out mm-hmm. there and just catch a wave to start the big wave, you know, type of thing. So it's really about being smart and and not, I guess, not surfing if the if the conditions aren't ideal because there's – it's just – like surfing anywhere, if it you pull up and it's sunny and glassy and it's the conditions are really good, like I'm gonna be so pumped to get out there. It's like I can't control myself. I can't get out there fast enough. But if it's onshore and I have to talk myself into going out, there's certain things that maybe I shouldn't be surfing. And then also, you know, kind of what I learned from my career with concussions and don't want to hit your head too many times. I mean, if you if you have a concussion. Surfing when it's crappy, you're going to miss the day of the year, which will, you know, so it's about kind of being patient and being patient and understanding this is kind of a, a lifelong pursuit and not to be in such a rush to to do it, make it happen.
1: And I think that's really good advice that applies not just to like proper big wave surfers, but just surfers in general, right? I, I can imagine people that are getting into surfing's, you know, larger waves they might just see it's big and think, okay, here's my chance. I got to go, but not realizing, you know, there can be very real consequences to, uh, surfing bigger waves. Um, and I think just realizing the, the,
0: yeah, I was just saying, not only for, for your own safety, but if, if you're not quite prepared and you're putting other people in danger because they're going to have to come save you and they're going to come out, have to come rescue and they're putting their lives in danger by whether it's like a, a wave water safety or even the local lifeguards you know so it's like being smart not only for your own safety but for the safety of the lifeguards and and people that are watching on the beach just so they don't have to make you know risk their lives to, to come save you
1: Hey everyone, it's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, it'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks. Well, I thought what was interesting is the way you approached Mavericks, right? So I think you know that's I think that's where you got your is that where you got your double XL award or triple XL award?
0: Yeah, yeah, Mavericks is one of yeah, yeah. my uh, biggest paddling wave. Yeah,
1: I mean, I just remember reading about the first time you surfed there, and or your way, the way you approached it. Right, it definitely wasn't like I'm just going to jump in and paddle for every way. What was, what was your approach, and why did you approach Mavericks that way?
0: Well, I think I. I never really wanted to be a big wave surfer. It was something that happened over a long period of time where slowly session by session, I surfed bigger and bigger waves. And I, I met, uh, there was a time when I was working in Fiji and Tavarua as a, as a lifeguard, as a boatman and Zach Wormout, who is one of the, the best Maverick surfers. And he's, uh, been surfing Maverick since the early nineties. He came out to, Tavarua and he had just won this big wave award and he uh me and Zach became good friends like we started talking about surfing and we got some bigger swell and uh he was a very humble humble guy that I could tell had so much experience and knowledge and he just started sharing a lot of this knowledge and and stuff with me and he said you know you got to come up to Mavericks and surf and you know because we got some bigger waves in Tavarua and he said you should come to to Mavericks, I think you'll like it because you're a regular footer, and and uh, I can I can you know fill you in on what you need. And my first reaction was like, hell no, I don't I don't want to surf Mavericks. <laughs> I'm not ready for it. And yeah. he pretty much in the coolest way just really laid out to me what I needed to do to be prepared for that, whether it was you know being in the best shape and the the equipment I needed, the certain buoy readings. type of swell the time of year all these things that he slowly started teaching me just everything i needed to know before i i came up and and so really when i first started surfing mavericks for i'd say the first couple years i didn't really catch any waves because i was just uh really out there because of you know my friendship with with zach and i i also was in really great good paddling shape so I knew I could make it into the lineup paddling from the beach because it's about a 45 minute paddle from the beach out to Mavericks mm-hmm. and so I really wanted just to watch watch Mavericks and when I got out there I was even more blown away than in almost any experience in my life because there was these guys in these full suits and and booties and hoods and I could barely see their faces and they weren't sponsored surfers and they were catching consistently massive huge 30, 40, 50, you know, whatever huge waves and people I'd never heard of. And there was these just unknown chargers catching the craziest waves doing it because they, you know, dedicated their life or their passion to, to Maverick. So when I got out there, I realized I was even kind of less prepared. And so I really wanted to, to spend time watching the wave and, and watching how the best locals do it. Cause Mavericks has, Mavericks has locals just like any other other spot. They know exactly where to sit. And so I really just watched how they uh, approached the wave. And after a couple years, I slowly started catching, you know, like, you know, the first or, you know, I'd catch one wave or two waves the first season or second season. And then I just slowly started catching more and more waves uh, that, that gradually built up to my XXL wave. But a lot of it was I was just incredibly humbled by the spot the level of surfing out there and that, um, and I knew I could drown out there. I was aware of, of how dangerous it was. So, and you know, when I first started surfing Mavericks, there wasn't, uh, nobody was wearing any type of padded vest or self-inflating life jackets. So if you caught a wave, you really had to, to have the understanding that, um, or you have to just know that you can survive that, that, not only that wipe out, but if your leash breaks, you have to be ready to, to swim in to shore uh, with no help, you oh know, like God. if you know, so if you so there's stuff like that, where I knew immediately when I first started going out there, that if I wiped out my leash broke, I wasn't confident enough to either survive the wipeout or swim in by myself. And over time, it just I started becoming more and more comfortable and you know, as comfortable as I could be in those situations. That sounds
1: so gnarly to lose your leash and have to swim in at Mavericks and
0: big, big Mavericks.
1: That, that just sounds ridiculous. I mean, I've seen Ma- I've, I went to watch Mavericks break and I was standing up on the cliff and that is, it's way out there. Like that's insane. Yeah. And you'd be fighting the current. You'd be, there'd be white waters. It would just be wild. Did you ever have to do that?
0: Um, oh I had to swim in. Um, I have had to swim in. I broke my board in a, like three places on one wipeout one time and uh, I've had I I have had to swim in um, I'd say only maybe once maybe twice Uh, but Mm. it really I learned just a lot from Zach Wormout he really also uh, taught me about the buddy system having someone with you Uh, because back then you know with no self-inflating life jacket and no not cell phones weren't out in the lineup so like um for example one time i paddled out with zach to mavericks and he loved to paddle out at sunrise you know when it's pretty much dark out so if it takes 45 minutes by the time we get out there we're out there at first light and when we're going out there we got caught by a big set we didn't know where the lineup was and Mm -hmm. his lee string broke and i saw him swimming and i actually paddled in and grabbed his board paddled it to him and since we had such a uh, good friendship and since he had taught me so much i had actually had I had two leash strings on my board so I took mm. off one of my leash strings gave it to him he put it on his board and then we both paddled back out and wow. so it's kind of being prepared for these things that maybe I didn't wasn't didn't know anything about but he taught me a lot so that just the worst wouldn't happen
1: yeah it seems like having a mentor like that is just invaluable like it, it's so key and the problem well it's not a problem but <clears throat> or one of the issues is i think in surfing not even necessarily talking about surfing like proper big waves but in surfing there's a lot of people that are just starting to learn things on their own and they don't have that you know that mentor to teach them hey make sure not to drop in on people make sure not to do this make sure not to do that um but it in the big wave realm, it becomes even more crucial to have a proper mentor or someone that can teach you and, and show you the ropes, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's really important to have that. And I guess the one benefit with social media and stuff like that, you can kind of figure out who, who the locals are at certain spots and you can kind of reach out and either ask permission or ask them like questions or say, hey, can I tag along with you? Um, I don't know what I'm doing and um, whether or not they get back to you, but at least you have kind of opportunities to know who certain people are, or you can reach out to certain people about safety protocol. Like, hey, I'm going to be going out Mm -hmm. to this certain big wave spot. Who can I pay? Uh, Who's the water safety? Who can I pay to watch me and take me out there and teach me? Because there's even certain people that are doing that at certain big wave spots where if you say, hey, I got money, who can I pay to, to take me out there or watch over me while I surf? And right. and most of the time, these people who are who are doing that have them have the knowledge to tell you, don't paddle around that person, don't sit underneath the pack, don't do these certain things, because it's really it comes down to it's not worth ruining all your relationships to catch a wave. Like and just being smart and having etiquette. Right. Right. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, that that
1: sounds like really good advice. Would you so? <laughs> we're talking about Mavericks so i figure i should show everybody we'll get a higher quality version but this was like that wave that i think you uh, i don't know if you can see it this is yeah. the uh, this is the <laughs> the wave that got you that triple xl award it looks freaking <laughs> death defiantly horrendous and scary it's wild i mean it's like a literal mountain I can't even fathom surfing a wave this big i mean i've surfed some bigger waves but this is this is order of magnitudes bigger than that what was what was surfing that wave like i mean it was can't even imagine
0: yeah catching that wave that was the best wave of my life um, for a lot of different reasons uh you know first it when i tried to paddle out that day i couldn't coordinate with anybody so i paddled out by myself from the beach and It took me about, I don't know, almost an hour or 45 minutes to paddle out to the lineup, even longer maybe. And I kept getting cleaned up by these closeout sets in the channel. And every single time I got cleaned up, it would just send me super far in. So I had two different moments that I remember where I was sat up on my board and I had some doubt and kind of was just like, do I give up and just go in uh, you know, and just call it a day and just give up on, on this or do I just keep moving? And both times I just said, you know, let's do this. I, I really want to be out there and I, I have what it takes to be out there and I'm, I'm in good enough shape, even though I bailed like 30 times just or even longer just to get out there. So it was something where I had these these moments of self-confidence. I It took me so long to get out there. By the time I got out into the lineup, it was this incredible feat for me like I was couldn't believe I I made it out there and I had kind of some extra confidence just from making it through the impact zone and sometimes on the biggest swells at Mavericks it does close out the channel where you have to bail a lot a lot of waves just to even get to the lineup so and by the time I got to the lineup um, I was feeling confident and actually that wave was my first wave of the day and it I felt like something just you know, the universe, the universe just gifted me that wave. And it kind of came right to me. I normally don't sit really deep with the pack. And I was sitting a little bit farther outside and, you know, wide and outside, which I talk about in my book. And the wave just kind of really just came right to me. My God.
1: Do you even remember riding the wave, like going down the face of the wave, like, or is it just like Lost in the ether. Yeah, or something I mean,
0: like I remember, but a lot of times on these big wave surfing, uh, big waves, you're not like looking up at the horizon, you're looking down at your board and you're looking at the curve mm. of the wave to so that you can adjust your mm. line. And so like whether you're knifing it on on kind of rail, like if it's kind of slabbing out more, or if your board is flat on the face, and you're going straight down with the speed. So there's, you know, I do remember the wave. I remember being halfway down and the wave spit. I remember feeling the spit on me and just, you know, I rode, I rode the wave like really far and knew when I kicked out that it was, you know, the, the biggest and best wave of my life.
1: How, how did it feel when you kicked out knowing that that was like the biggest and best wave of your life?
0: I mean, oh, it was, it was incredible. You know, it's probably, it's one of the best feelings I've had in my life and, a lot of these things that i i've done even that 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 specific wave i did it for myself and it felt really good to have accomplished this thing you know to to catch that wave and to not give up on the paddle out and to see it through and really catch catch the wave you know and i didn't immediately go up to anybody and there's a lot of boats and jet skis i didn't go up to anybody and say did you see my wave or anything i just really you know sat in the channel and like soaked it in and you know put my hands in the water and really tried to feel you know and just be thankful you know i was really really thankful for that because i had you know spent probably five years or four years of not ever you know out there without catching a wave like that so to, to spend wow. that amount of time trying to be patient and to catch that and going out there with no expectations i didn't go out there and tell myself uh, you have to catch a wave you have this is you know i didn't put this pressure like i wasn't hard on myself i was just grateful to be out there and then that wave came so it's just 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 everything came together for me
1: my god that's like the culmination of your entire life and just crystallizing in that one wave and yeah oh, I mean I look at that wave and just looks so crazy and then for you to also get that photograph and to get the recognition that's just incredible that it all came together like that and
0: yeah yeah I mean that's I I you know felt I was really also humbled by it because you know winning when I won that XXL award there's I definitely still had a feeling that there's a lot of really, really great big wave surfers that committed, committed their life to big wave surfing that never got the recognition I had had from that wave and all these people that, whether they wanted it or not, weren't getting the recognition for it. So, you know, as much as I did it for myself, I, you know, definitely pay respect to all the people that came before me and and laid the path for me because there's, you know, to get recognition, you know, now social media, people get these instant kind of things where they're you know that you know kind of back then there was a lot of big wave surfers that committed their lives to big wave surfing they got lots of waves like that that never really got a picture in the magazine or, or won an award so I was really grateful and just just really really gave me the confidence and opened my mind to, to more possibilities
1: yeah sounds like after that wave your career kind of just like it seems like it just catapulted and then you're going and surfing with Twiggy in South Africa. And then you're going to Ireland and you're going to, you know, surfing Nazare with the uh, Kyleni and Nick von Rupp and just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, that must've been such a wild transformation of your life to go from, you know, unknown charger to now you're like in the big leagues when it comes to, to big wave surfing.
0: Yeah, it was, it was definitely a huge uh, moment and, huge thing for me to start building that momentum uh, for my big wave career i've i've seen uh bill sharp who was running the uh xxl awards at the time i've seen him a lot since and told him how thankful i was uh that he put on that event and really gave me the opportunity to, to like win that award and and, it, and how much it that award helped me in my my career and my life and my path to trying to be the best big wave surfer so i've I've told Bill Sharp, he's the one that was running the event, like how much that had helped me. And, you know, I was just just grateful for that. So, yeah, it, it was really helpful for me because I, I probably, even if I didn't win the award, would have continued to try to push myself in big wave surfing and trying to be a professional surfer. But winning that award really helped me with sponsors, uh, people recognizing me and and just trying to to get really get money and travel fund so that i could challenge myself and and start going to all the other big wave spots in the world
1: yeah and it sounds like you went on some crazy adventures the funny thing is the one that stands out to me a lot is like uh when you talk about surfing in ireland and then how you like (laughs) roll up and then you're like okay what, what did you expect uh, from these? How did you know that these guys were going to be a little different? And, they, and then I think you went and asked them, like, hey, where do I hang my wetsuit? And they're just like, oh, you just hang it outside. And it's literally snowing outside. And as a Northeast surfer, I can relate to that because it snows and we go surfing in the snow. But I'm not going to hang my wetsuit outside because it's going to turn into a brick. But these guys are like, eh, whatever. <laughs> this, is, this is nothing. Like, you got if you're going to be tough and surf big waves, then you just, why, why do we care about this? That's psycho to me.
0: Yeah, they were, um, you know, it was Mickey Smith and Fergal Smith and Tom Lowe, who I was with. And they were just a different breed of surfer that I'd ever experienced. They were so hardcore and they charged so hard and it was so normal for them. Um, Even that whole hanging the wetsuit out when it's outside, when it was snowing. Fergal Smith told me he'd rather... Put on a suit that's covered in snow, than a wetsuit because when it's sn- outside, when the when you hang out, when you hang your wetsuit up outside in the snow, it's pretty much dry. Where mm. if you hang it out, hang it up in like when it's raining, it's wet. So there's oh. something to do with the the snow or something. And then he also told me, you know, the moment you start worrying about putting on a, a wet or cold wetsuit, you've already lost. <laughs> like you're not gonna make it. And so I just had to really just. Um, Try to not complain really about anything uh, even though I wasn't used to surfing in the snow or even getting like worked by big waves in snowy conditions that was and just it's just a whole different dynamic but I had to just mentally I think it it, he really taught me something about how important it is uh, to be mentally prepared and just think that I don't know
1: just gotta be hard just gotta be super hard like this guy <laughs> <I guess. laughs> yeah. sounds psycho um well so then you eventually start transitioning to being a photographer and there's like there's two photos of yours that you you, you put in here that really stood out to me and i just was hoping to get your your background on this, these two stories so the first one this is the one that was actually in the surfer's journal i remember getting this copy and thinking like it was so beautiful but this wave right here could you uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this photograph you took?
0: Yeah, when I went to um, – well, I started doing a lot of photography and big wave surfing uh, mostly because I was – had concussions and then also I was pretty traumatized about my drowning experience and I was just kind of too scared to talk about it and so I really – um, and I didn't really tell anybody, but that was generally why I, I was shooting more than I was surfing. And I didn't really t- mm. like tell many people that, but, uh, that photo, uh, specifically at Nazare, um, I really owe to Nick Von Rupp because I, I had spoken to him before I went to Portugal and Nazare, and, and I, I expressed to him, I wanted to come over and document it and possibly maybe surf it, even though I, maybe I didn't really want to surf it but I, I did want to document it and the scene there. And uh, I spoke with Nick Von Rupp. And when I went over there, he lined me up with like a jet ski, whether if he was driving it or he'd have some his driver, Sergio, drive me. And he just took care of me in a way that I would, will never forget. So I would have never captured that photo if it wasn't for Nick Von Rupp and him. Because uh, there's a lot of stuff with Nazare. They won't really let anyone out into the lineup you have to be, um, approved by the people there, like the, the Nazare water safety patrol, and you have to know them and, and not anyone can, you have to like really, if not know them, or just get approved by the people there. And there's certain people that you get the okay from, but, uh, Nick made sure that I, it was okay. I mean, I went out with him and even that specific photo was, uh, cause Nazare is just, just a, a crazy, crazy wave that it's so consistently big. It's, you know, breaks like 40 to 60 foot so consistently that I, when I went there, I knew I didn't want to surf it because I committed most of my big wave surfing to paddle and surfing. And it was, it, to me, it looked like mostly a, a tow wave. And even though they, everyone's paddling big Nazare, you have to pay the price. You're getting caught inside by a lot of waves and you know, there's there's specific kind of lineups and spots where it breaks, but most of the time, um, a lot of these big wave surfers that are out there paddling it get caught inside. So, uh, in that specific day, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I had dropped off Nick to paddle in and start, you know, paddle surfing it. in which he got like two really big waves that day. He paddled into them. And I just, you know, buzzed the ski around to face the cliff so that I could kind of capture the sunrise uh, along with the wave. And it, everything came together for that image. And I remember looking at the photo when I captured it, I knew it was uh, really something special and it eventually landed on the cover of Surfer's Journal. So really lucky that it was sunny offshore, you know, a mega swell, and that Nick lined me up on the ski because... Um, but even though even though when I was out there, I was really scared because um, I was wearing a self-inflating life jacket while I was shooting. And but I still understood that if I got caught inside by a set or if the jet ski broke, that there's a chance I could drown out there. Because even if you have a self inflating life jacket, you could have a lot of waves before or even might, you know, there are a lot of waves could hit you and you could get held on for a long time before um, the water safety can catch you. And so um, even looking back, like right now, I'm not I probably won't. Go out there and shoot ever again, and I think I was still, still had some ego from my big wave career and thought I could handle some big beat downs. But now, even though I'm in great shape, I just don't think I would put myself in that situation for my own mental health.
1: I mean, I've I've been on that cliff looking at Nazaré when it was probably I don't know how big it was, but massive, and it's crazy because it just looks like a crazy wild beach break, except it's. 60 foot and the waves are breaking Mm -hmm. all over the place. It seems it just seems so crazy. And I just remember walking down and seeing the white waters look like they were 20, 30 foot. It is the gnarliest looking place. Um, um, what about this wave right here? This wave looks pretty insane as well. This, this
0: is one of the photographs you, the photograph after you included that one. Um, that was, uh, Francisco Procello or Procello. Yeah. Um, and he's from Maui and, uh, he is a full jaws charger catches, has gotten some crazy barrels out there. He's a goofy footer. He's been coming to Mavericks for a long time too, but he towed into that wave. And that was a really big day at Mavericks. And uh, I had gotten into the lineup with Matt Becker, who is a big wave surfer and he has a jet ski and he actually drove me out there. I'm pretty sure that morning. And there was really big waves like probably anywhere from like 40 to 50 foot coming in and breaking on the outer reef and so the the session started as a tow session because i think that a lot of the paddle surfers weren't sure if they were going to be getting caught inside and there's a lot of people there like kailani and a lot of great surfers were there towing at first light so that was before the sun had come up and francis there's a couple waves in a row and francisco just when he got whipped into that wave and he pulled up into the bowl he just looked so casual and comfortable even though he's he's making like this um a face like he's just i don't know he he looks really casual yeah he's, he's 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 um i think amazed by the fact that he's he was almost soul arching in the bowl at Mavericks And it it really he's someone that's committed his life to big wave surfing. And it showed on that wave when he, you know, backside pulled up into the bowl at Mavericks on like a 40 foot wave or 50 foot wave and made it look really made it look really casual, which is, I think, some of the greatest big wave surfers when you um, if they can make a big wave look um, like if they don't look like they're when they make it look really easy, I think is is what I'm getting at is, is when you know that they have the time and put in the time and experience
1: right i mean he just looks like he does the expression on his face isn't one of fear it's more of just like wonder like this is so sick like i can't believe i'm here right now this is like this is incredible and i think what makes for me anyway this photo is so dramatic i mean obviously you can see all this energy and you can see that chop on the face which to me looks kind of terrifying because like you're you're riding that chop is hitting your board and you, you have to like hold through with that chop but then what's crazy is you know you can see the other side of the barrel and it just looks like it's like a football field of distance like between those two ends and it, it just makes this thing look like the craziest cavern ever and to ride that it's just yeah he i mean like,
0: there there's there's i have some other images from that from that same set and he definitely he's one of the guys that Francisco is one of the surfers that, uh, has put in so much time and he just always kind of blew my mind when it came to catching so many consistent big waves and then paddling out with a smile on his face. Like he did that a lot. He got a lot of big waves, took these crazy beat downs and it always made me question, you know, cause I might have one bad wipeout and I would call it a day at times, mm. you know, if, you know, cause I knew that, I probably wouldn't have the energy to take another wipeout, and so I was being—I was a pretty cautious big wave surfer. And he's just a person that would just—he just, you know, will get like a, a huge barrel and then come out and take a wipeout and then, and then surf for another two or three hours. And so there's—he's just—he's built different. That dude. Yeah, he's just frothing. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: So you—you you made Waking Up in the Sea, and I uh, just want to hear what what's next for you.
0: Uh, what's next for me i'm working on my second book which i'm really happy to talk about uh the when i made waking up in the sea my first book i had originally written upwards of 14 chapters and i narrowed it down to seven and so i have a lot um my second book um really happy just to share that I'll be it'll have more chapters there'll be some some stuff that's I included in, in my first book but there's a lot of stuff I didn't talk about also uh, in terms of my concussions and my mental health uh, I'll probably talk more about the stuff that specifically helped me recover from concussions and helped me get through maybe a tough time with my mental health or and these types of things so uh, not only will it be kind of Like mem, like something like a memoir with more chapters, but I'll also talk about specific things that helped me through, you know, my concussion and certain, and then also like my maybe an update on my health, kind of what I've been going through since, you know, this book's come out, and because everything I'm um, I've been working at, I've been constantly trying to share how I'm doing, how I'm helping myself, um, just really in order to like. Not only share about like my big wave career, but tell people um, that might be going through a tough time with concussions and certain stuff like that. Because I had a lot of, I had a lot of response with my book um, and people asking me kind of what I did to bounce back uh, from a lot of this stuff. And I wasn't really ready to talk about a lot of this stuff for a number of reasons. But now I'm, I'm definitely I've been doing better and better, and every year and every month every day I'm. I'm getting, I feel just better and better. So I just want to kind of share with people how I got to this and um, not only just talk about my career, but uh, maybe try to give some advice on how to help people.
1: That sounds great. It sounds like a gift to the world and really, hopefully it can, it can help other people that are going through hard times, whether it be concussions or just things in general. Right. I think definitely, I think that sounds amazing. Well, we'll work towards uh, finishing this up, but you know, yeah. I mean, I've surfed with you at Wind and Sea. You don't surf only big waves. You also surf all sorts <laughs> of waves, and you're a really good surfer. So um, how about this? What is your best piece of advice surfing-wise for uh, a beginner surfer?
0: Oh, the best advice, um, probably the understand. I mean, there's a couple of things. I'll probably say one or two. But if you're going to surf, just understand that this is kind of a lifelong pursuit that takes a while to get good at and you might be good at other sports or you might be in good shape but this is something pretty different in terms of your balance your stance and your ocean awareness and that it might take you a couple years to catch a good wave or you could just be in tune with the ocean and and catch waves immediately but it's something that if you have uh, low expectations and just want to be out there and you really enjoy the ocean that I think it's my i don't I'm not I have a couple of things, but just to have low expectations and just to be grateful to be out there in the ocean and if you have these high expectations like you want to jump on a shortboard and do turns that that's probably ten years out you know it might take five or ten yeah. years for you to be able to to maneuver a shortboard good enough to be able to do turns or do an aerial so it's really. You know, there's certain people like Kelly Slater and some other really good surfers that and Kailani and all these people that make surfing look so easy and comfortable, but it's, it's really a difficult sport. And a big part of surfing is just understanding the ocean and, uh, learning to read waves, learning about beach break versus, you know, rocky waves or reefs and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and then also, I guess
0: what, I was just going to add, um, just to be aware of other surfers and, you know, just understand that you have to work together and that you, you know, just to not be in people's way or just to share waves and not try to be super selfish about it. Right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, talking about surfing being this lifelong pursuit and not being too, um, hungry about it. i feel like some people might listen to that piece of advice because you said it might take you 10 years to be able to do turns properly and i think it so for some people maybe that will bum them out but i think what people should realize is like that process of being beginning is actually a beginner at something is actually what makes uh surfing so fun because that's when you when you're rapidly improving i think that's when you have the most fun right that that journey of improving and you yep. know sure it might take you a long time to do turns but i think that that journey is what makes it so exciting and i look back to when i was a beginner at a lot of yeah. things and those were actually some of the most fun times that i had versus when i achieved a level of competence and then it became more like routine so um yeah i Definitely. think that's really good advice yeah and and what what about for the intermediate surfer then
0: oh the intermediate surfer Oh, the best advice i mean there's certain things that's important with your stance you know having a wide stance can be good at times if you're starting mm-hmm. to surf on a bigger waves or um i guess for the more advanced surfer um i guess when you start getting better understanding etiquette in the lineup is very important so when you're first starting you might just be concerned with popping up and riding waves in but once you start getting out into the lineup that you should understand that there's rules to the lineup and with that is just not snaking people and if someone's been waiting a long time like don't be selfish and and not like i mentioned like don't ruin relationships to catch a wave try to be friendly with people in the water and uh, just understand that there's kind of rules and, and that certain spots have locals. And even though like they, they just these locals know exactly where to sit and they will line up because they've surfed there for 20 years. And just to be respectful of other people, because there's a lot of locals at a lot of different surf spots. and if you you know paddle out and you're like by yourself and you're friendly, almost a lot of people will be nice like almost everywhere. It's just understanding etiquette of not getting in their way or not thinking that you can go paddle deeper than them because they don't know where they're at and certain things that just being um, not selfish in the lineup, I guess, is what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Well, Derek, thanks for uh, joining. This was uh, such a treat to have you on, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure anybody that's watching or listening is... Is pretty stoked. We had the most amazing discussion. So uh, I just want to say thanks for joining.
0: Yeah, thank you, dude. I really appreciate it. Hey,
1: everyone. It's Van. Hopefully you've been enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you've been listening to some good stories, getting some good tips that are helping you improve as a surfer. If so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. It'll only take you literally a few seconds and share it with your friends. That's the best way you can support me so I can continue to create awesome new content for you. So thanks.